Again, welcome to GRX. My name is Scott, and I'm the lead pastor here. And as has been shared already early in this service, we had a great, great week at Ponderosa Elementary School. We were running Vacation Bible School. And uh, it's always a great privilege uh, to run VBS. And I was thinking about it, and um, you know, this might be your very, very first time at GRX, and this might be your very first VBS, or, or you might have been here for a really long time. Um, and we can just share together the goodness of that week. Uh, I was thinking about, uh, it was six years ago that I came to GRX to serve here as the pastor of this church, and two weeks after I arrived, we went right into Vacation Bible School. And it was just, uh, for me, Vacation Bible School is always very, very special because I get to watch how people are growing every year, and it's pretty amazing to see. Let, let me start by saying to all the parents, to all the grandparents, um, all the guardians, everybody that sent their kids to Vacation Bible School, let me start with thank you. Thank you. I mean, maybe for some of you, you're like, oh my gosh, someone's going to watch my kids for like five days. That's so great. But really, it's a great privilege to be able to see your kids, to sing uh, with your kids, to listen. Your kids have a lot to say, a lot of great things, a lot of great insights. So thank you for giving us the privilege of walking with them, uh, being with them, spending this week with them, investing uh, in their lives. Uh, it's a great privilege to do that. And you made it possible by driving them every morning and picking them up. So thank you for letting us be a part of their lives for this last week. I want to share that VBS is actually uh, part of this much greater journey. VBS, Vacation Bible School, is a part of this larger journey. And I bet there are even some adults here that when you guys were kids, you were a part of a summer program. Maybe a church was doing a summer camp, or you went to vacation Bible school. And I put it up here on the screen, but that we've got kids and campers, and they come. And some of them are really young. Like, I think in our group, the youngest were like five years old. But then the journey that they're on is that they grow, and they mature, and then our hope is that they might become student leaders. And you saw some of those student leaders up here, and Leon shared a little bit about that. But then it doesn't stop there. They move on to adulthood. We've got a great staff, uh, Jen, Terrence, Jeannie, and then we've got Amy, who's working with the, the little kids, and then the, the, the elementary school kids, and then all the way up to the youth. Um, and then after that, campers, kids, student leaders, then adults. And, and I, you guys get me. You guys, you guys get me. And you guys are great. You're not as cute as the kids. But, but you guys get me. And what I'm trying to say by all these different staff people walking along with different people at different stages of their life is that our hope is that we as a whole community would grow from the youngest all the way up to the oldest adult, that we would grow relationally together, that we would grow emotionally, that we would grow intellectually, and that we would grow spiritually. And so if you've been around GRX for a little while, 
you'll recognize some of this because like, relationally, that's why we did this whole series on forgiveness right around Easter time. We did the whole series on forgiveness so that we could grow relationally and learn how to forgive one another and be gracious to each other. And earlier than that, we did this whole series on emotions, emotional maturity, emotional health, emotional well-being, so that we grow emotionally, so that we become aware of the great joys in our lives, and then we kind of become aware of our own sort of gaps in our character. And and so our dysfunctions don't create a lot of wreckage on other people, right? We become aware. We become aware of ourselves emotionally, and then intellectually, and then spiritually. We'll dive into more of that, but today I'm going to be sharing some things about how we think about things uh, theologically, how we understand the world around us intellectually and spiritually, so that we might be theologically nimble. We might be theologically nimble, being able to interpret what we see around us. The whole week at VVS, we were teaching the kids along these themes, and um, there'll be a slide for this, and this is what the kids, actually, we would, we would teach them each day. When life is unfair, God is good. And then we went through some other things. When life is scary, or when life is sad, or when life is good, God is good. And maybe you saw your kids coming home with some of this. Um, These were the big themes. When life is scary, when life is unfair, when life is sad, when life is good, God is good. And each day we took something, uh, we learned about something like this. Now, for the kids, especially the elementary school kids, they're, they're concrete thinkers. And so you can say, hey, have you experienced sadness in life? And they, they'll say, yes, I was sad. I was sad when my sister was mean to me, or I was sad when this happened to me at school. But then you can say, but God is good, and we can come alongside that and also name God's goodness. And as kids, as concrete thinkers, they'll, they'll just kind of take that as face value. Yes, life is sad. I feel sad. But yes, God is good because my leaders tell me God is good. And as kids and as concrete thinkers, they, they take that and they come away with that. And they sing the songs and we saw that up here. And there's an innocence about that. There's a purity about that. But what happens when we become adults? Right? When we become adults, these phrases like, when life is sad, God is good, sometimes they'll ring a little hollow for us as adults. And when we become adults, life becomes more complex. Life becomes more complicated. Our lives get influenced by other people. We meet other people from other cultures. We travel. Maybe we go to college. We meet people with different life experiences, with different worldviews, with different perspectives. And we have to begin to sort of integrate what we learned as a child or as a young person into the larger worldview. As adults, we take on other things, responsibilities, jobs, work, finances, stress, all of these things. And, And if we don't grow intellectually, if we don't grow theologically, as adults, then the phrases that we learned as children begin to ring hollow. And so 
as we grow and as we are on this journey as adults, VBS, we need something more than Vacation Bible School for adults. And so what I'm hoping is as we look at this passage of Scripture today, that you'll actually engage intellectually, theologically, and think about how in your real life, what is happening and where is God present? Where is God present in this? We're going to be looking at Psalm 23. It's a short psalm, but it's a very, very famous psalm. It's a psalm that's often read at funerals. When you're grappling with the realities of life and death, it's an adult concept, right? This psalm is often read. And I think it's read because it's intellectually, spiritually, and theologically very profound. It's full of metaphorical thinking. See, as adults, you are metaphorical thinkers. Kids are, are concrete thinkers up until about age 10, 11, 12. And once they hit 5th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade, they become metaphorical thinkers. And Psalm 23 is full of metaphor. And it's really an adult psalm. It's an intellectual psalm. It's a theological psalm. So let me read this for you. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me, or he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There was a lot of images, there's a lot of words, there's a lot of poetry there. So we're going to go back in just a moment and unpack this and see what is this psalm saying about real life. But before we dive into that, I think it seems like if you think about life, that your life could generally fall into these two categories into these two broad categories. Life is good or life is bad. And maybe right now, like this morning, you're here and you're like, oh, my life falls into one of these categories. My life is good or my life is bad. So when life is good, right, the sun is shining, people are smiling, your kids are getting along, your job is really good. You got a great performance evaluation. Maybe you got a raise. Maybe you're trying to, to buy a house or get an apartment and, and, and your, your, uh, your application got approved. Your health is good. You're feeling strong. And when people think about following God, right, we're talking here at church, we're talking about people following God it tends to be pretty easy to follow God when life is good. And when life is good, God is good. My life is, everything's good, smooth sailing. And it's pretty easy to follow God 
But how about when life is bad? And as adults, we've lived enough life to know what it is when life feels bad. When the skies are gray, when people are angry with us, frustrated with us, we've got unreconciliation in our relationships. When the job's not going well, when the kids are fighting at home, when there's a health crisis, and when we're feeling weak. And it's sometimes at these points of crises when life is bad, maybe even a death in the family, that people turn away from God. Life is challenging. Life is sad. And God is not good. And we sometimes will fall into that category when life is bad, God is absent, and I turn away from God. Something has infiltrated our beliefs in Christianity, in our Western culture. I see it certainly true in the Bay Area. I would say it's true in Western culture and Western Christianity. And it's this false belief that when life is good, God is good. And when life is bad, that just means that God is not around. And that's a false belief. Hard stuff, challenges, setbacks, sorrows. The false belief is that if I follow God, then none of that should be in my life. But that's not true. That's not true. I run into it, though, sometimes when I run into people who are running into a hardship or challenge, adult situations, and they turn away from God, and they turn away from the church. They turn away from community because they are living with a false belief that if my life has hardships, then faith has nothing to do with my life anymore. That's why this psalm is read at funerals, because the psalmist, Psalm 23, he's grappling with the reality, the adult reality, that life is both good and bad. Life is both good and bad. And that in the fullness of life, in joy and in sorrow, God can be known. God can be found. God is present. Look at what Psalm 23, what he's talking about, this metaphorical thinking. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When I, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That's when life is good. That is green pastures, shepherd, sheep, and goats. A green pasture means that when my life has all that I need, then God is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. When my life is at peace, when the waters are not turbulent around me, but when the waters are still, when there's peacefulness in my life, then yes, God is my shepherd. He restores my soul when I feel healthy. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. When God leads me on right paths, paths of righteousness, when I live with integrity, when I am walking in truth, when I am walking in goodness, when I live with integrity with my soul, then yes, God is good. 
when my life circumstances are good. All of this is good. The first three verses are the life is good. But then he shifts at verse 4, and life is bad. Psalm 23, 4 and 5 continues this way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk in a season of deep darkness, when I'm in a place of great sadness, great conflict, or great sorrow, God, yes, you are there also. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, even in the dark places. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, what does that mean? What that means is that when you're surrounded by things or people that are oppressing you or are holding you captive, it's saying, you, God, prepare a table for me. It means you, God, are providing for me in a way that I do not expect. A table, preparations, sustenance. This is what God is providing. God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I'm feeling attacked, when I'm feeling oppressed, God, you provide for my needs. And then you anoint my head with oil, and then my cup overflows. In these biblical times, the, the oil was a sign of blessing, but it was also a sign of healing. People would be anointed with oil or oil would be put on them. It would be a medical treatment. It would be a medical healing treatment. So in the presence of my enemies in challenge, God, you anoint my head with oil. You bring blessing to me. God, you will bring healing to me. And then my cup overflows that you will provide for me in unexpected ways. This is a very adult psalm. It engages our minds. God, where are you? Are you present in the good and in the bad? I've um, been having a conversation with a woman in our church, Tina, and we've been talking about some of the things that she and her family have been going through. And um, could I get some help with the table, please? And let me invite Tina to come forward. Um, some of you will know Tina's story, and some of you will not know Tina or know her story at all. But as we've been talking, um, we were talking this week about her sharing some of the things that are going on in her life. And uh, Tina, come on up. And so uh, she was uh, courageous enough to say yes to share. And so, Tina, go ahead. And, is it okay to record this for the podcast? Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah. She's okay. So. Yeah, so, yeah, um, so, Tina, can you just share a little bit of background of what your family's been going through? Sure. Um, sorry, I'm really nervous. <laughs> I know okay. I talk a lot to people. People know I talk a lot, but I don't like to talk in front of people. Um, um, some people know my brother, Jason. He's 42. He's the baby of the family. Um, the day, the night of mother's... Um, the day before Mother's Day, he um, was sick. He had a fever of 101, and he had um, 
like a cough and a headache. It's just kind of like your typical flu. Um, somewhere between eight and 10 hours later, he fell into a coma and he was rushed to the hospital and intubated um, and he couldn't move or communicate. Um, he couldn't open his eyes. Um, they didn't know what it was. Uh, they did tests, they thought it was a stroke, an infection. Um, they had all sorts of, they did hundreds of tests, um, MRIs. They couldn't find out what was going on. And um, part of the workup with encephalitis, is what they thought was encephalitis. Um, was it infectious? They did all these tests. Is it an autoimmune response? That's one of the possibilities. And then something called a perineal plastic syndrome, which is um, you know, a, a result of cancer in his body. So they did a, a CT scan and they found a, um, a three by three centimeter pancreatic mass. And um, I'm a family doctor and that is pretty much 100% mortality rate. Um, the doctor said he had two months to live. It looked like pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what it looked like. They said, that's what it is. Um, my family fell into despair. And we're a Christian family. We, I come from a big line of believers. And um, I'm sorry. No, so no. <clears throat> I come from a big line of believers and um, grandfather, aunts, and uncles. And we all started to pray. All of us go to different churches. I have a huge mm -hmm. family. And I think at one point we had thousands of people praying. Mm -hmm. um, even we had family members at GRX mm -hmm. praying for him. Um, and it's hard. I was really tired of crying, of um, dealing with the medical stuff. And it was really, really hard. Um, and one verse kept coming back to me. A lot of people read Psalm 23 to me, but um, Matthew 11, mm. 20 to 30 is what came to me. Um, Come unto me all who are weak and weary and heavy laden, and mm. I will give you rest. Mm. Um, we were looking for something. Uh, why, why, why did this happen? And um, my dad said, God has a reason for all of this. Um, but we didn't know what it was. The, um, <clears throat> about three days in after we heard about the pancreatic cancer, my sister-in-law, who's a new believer, she was at his bedside and she was tired. She was kind of sleeping and she put her head down on the bed and was holding his hand. And she said she felt um, somebody next to her and she said, how could that be? Because she was up against the wall. So for someone to come over to the other side, you have to wake her up or move her. And she said she looked up, and there was a white guy there. And I said, a Caucasian guy with blonde hair? Oh. And she said, no, a really tall white guy. And she thought she was dreaming, so she rubbed her eyes. And she looked again, and this person or figure was gone. And she told us about it, and we thought that that was a sign of God's presence. Um, 
the next couple of days, the next day, the surgeon came and said, we're just going to go in and take it out. looks bad. We're just going to do it. And as he was prepping, he looked and he said, well, I don't think we should go in quite yet. I have to do a couple more tests because it looks like this pancreatic mass looks like it's touching the adrenal gland. And um, we can't touch it unless we're sure it's not touching the adrenal gland or else it's like poking a beehive and all the bees would come out. That would be bad. And so we waited a couple of days, got a few more tests, and said, since we're waiting, let's get another CT scan. So they got another CT scan um, with contrast this time, so it's a little better. And this time it said, hmm, the radiologist read it as, it looks like it's just pancreatic tissue now. So I'm like, that's kind of weird. Hmm. So the surgeon said, well, I, don't, I still don't really know what's going on. Can we... Maybe we'll do a biopsy. He wasn't going to get a biopsy before because he was positive. Um, and so we waited and we got a biopsy. I asked a GI doctor who was going to do it endoscopically. And I said, hey, doc, you've seen this before. You do this all the time. What do you think it is? And he said, well, I thought it was a pancreatic mass, but now it looks like a lymphoma. And I said, but there are no lymph nodes that are swollen. He said, well, I don't know. Maybe that's what it looks like to me. So he finished, he, he did his procedure, a biopsy, and he came out and I said, what did you see? And he said, I saw goo. And I said, hmm. that's not a medical term. I don't know what goo is. <laughs> I, he said, that's the only way I can explain it. I saw hmm. goo. I did not see a mass. I was poking around. I didn't see anything. And when the pathology report came back, it said it was nothing. There was nothing there. Um, I'm not a radiologist, but I saw the CT scan. I saw a mass. It looked like the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Mm. And um, it was gone. Mm. He went to tumor board, you know, it's like 30 doctors, oncologists, radiologists, surgeons, they got together and they discussed this. And they're like, we don't know what that was. We don't know what it is. We don't know what happened to it. We can't go in there and do surgery. There's nothing to take out. Um, during this time, we were like happy. I mean, when we heard that, both my sister and on and I looked at each other and we're like, we're hungry because mm. we hadn't eaten for a week, we realized. Mm. Um, but he still hadn't woken up. One of his best friends, Sam, told us he had a dream and he said um, he dreamed that Jason went to his door and was transparent he was see-through and they went for a ride in a Tesla I don't know why that was so specific <laughs> it was really specific yeah it's a nice car yeah I guess so they were riding in a Tesla and they were having a good time and chatting Sam said and then Jason said I'm really sorry to do this to you man um, but don't worry, um, I'm gonna wake up in three days. So we saw that as a, a vision, maybe, from mm -hmm. God, mm -hmm. and um, we waited three mm -hmm. days, and he didn't wake up. And we said, were we not faithful? And mm -hmm. what did we do wrong? Mm -hmm. um, that day that he was supposed to wake up, the doctor said, we're not gonna do anything more, there's nothing to do. And we were kind of upset. He's 42. He had no medical problems, no medications. 
his labs looked great. Kidney, liver, he had no white count. I mean, there was nothing wrong with him on paper. He wasn't even on the, he was trached, but he wasn't even on the vent. They took off the vent, they took off the sedation. He just wouldn't wake up. And, um, and so we petitioned and we asked the doctors to send us to get a second opinion. And they said, we don't do that. This is at Kaiser. Um, I've been here for 15 years. We don't do that. Um, and I said, you owe it to us. Actually, by law, we get a second opinion and we get to choose. And a couple hours later, he came back and he says, you're getting transferred. Mm. He got a bed. And if you guys know Kaiser, that is a miracle. Mm. Uh, I mean, the pancreatic mass, whatever, right? That was, I was like, that was the miracle mm. that we mm. got. Mm. By the way, if you, if you work for Kaiser, we love sorry. you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you want to share more? Or did you... um, three weeks to the day, well, actually, after we got to UCSF, within 48 hours, they had done a whole bunch of testing, and they said, we know what this is. Um, it was an autoimmune disorder. Basically, he had a virus, and his own body, instead of attacking the virus, attacked his brain. It's called Miller-Fisher syndrome, or encephalitis. Um, it's a variant of Guillain-Barre, and Guillain-Barre uh, happens in one in 100,000 people. Uh, this is 6% of that, so it's pretty rare. They gave him treatment, and we waited, um, and five days later, he actually woke up. He, um, not like what you think waking up, he could stick his tongue out, and he could wiggle his fingers and his toes, and that was about it, but we were so happy that he was awake, um, and we remembered Sam's dream because it was three weeks to the day mm. and we thought maybe Sam was wrong mm. maybe it wasn't three days it was three weeks but we all looked at each other and, and said that was maybe God's promise to us mm. well, Tina thank you for sharing I'd like to take just some time that we can um, just spend a little bit of time to pray together let's pray together thanks Tina God, we want to pray um, for uh, Jason and their family and lift uh, them up to you. God, we pray that uh, you would continue to be present with them. God, we ask for healing. We ask for your spirit to pour out um, your healing on Jason. We ask that you would continue to sustain the family as well and then the extended family for Tina and other siblings and for their family. God, thank you that you are faithful. And we pray, God, that you in this, we would see you. We pray, God, that you would be um, known through this, glorified through this. And God, we pray that um, Jason would be healed. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, sure. I'm sorry. I just want to add one more thing. Um, as we were asking a lot of why, why did this happen? Um, during this time, my sister-in-law is a, a new believer, and I think she came closer to God and saw all the support. Um, but during this time, both her parents accepted Christ. Hmm.